Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast, which explores the worlds of sci-fi and fantasy books through those who bring them to life. Every week, we chat with authors and industry pros about their books, including new releases and old favorites. I'm Lauren Zurchin from the Ink Feather Collective, and this is episode 52, where I chat with best-selling author David Arnold. David Arnold is probably best known for his debut book, which was Mosquito Land. Um, he has a few others in between that also hit list. But this new book that was out on February 9th is called The Electric Kingdom, and it is unlike any book I have ever read. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting David a few years ago when he was actually touring around for Mosquito Land, and he was at an event that I was photographing, and we talk a little bit about that in the episode. Um, and he was just such a delightful and interesting person to talk to. And so when I saw this book and I saw the premise, I knew I had to have him. Um, <laughs> this is one of the hardest books I've ever had to interview on because it is very complex and like not easy to pin down in regards to topics or specific ideas. So um, one of the easiest things I can do to give you an idea of what the book is about if you haven't read it is I'm going to read the blurb, which I don't often do on the podcast, but I think it's a really good starting ground for this story. And then um, it'll help kind of explain what we talk about in more depth in the actual um, episode. So, okay, so here is the description on the cover of the electric kingdom also disregard the budgies like always i feel like if you've been listening to this podcast anytime recently every intro i'm always like don't mind my budgies they're in there happily chatting away so you can hear them which makes me laugh because there's actually a budgie in the opening scene of this book which was very amusing to me so anyways here's the description when a deadly fly flu sweeps the globe it leaves a shell of the world that once was among the survivors are 18-year-old Nico and her dog on a voyage devised by Nico's father to find a mythical portal, a young artist named Kit raised in an old abandoned cinema, and the enigmatic deliverer who lives life after life in an attempt to put the world back together. As swarms of infected flies roam the earth, these few survivors navigate the woods of post-apocalyptic New England, meeting others along the way, each on their own quest to find life and light in a world gone dark. The Electric Kingdom is a sweeping exploration of love, art, storytelling, eternal life, and above all, a testament to the notion that even in an exterminated world, one person might find beauty in another. This is a very good description of this book, and I give a lot of props to the person who wrote it because, um, you know, it, it, it. yes, in a nutshell, this is a book about a pandemic, post-pandemic world, post fly flu world, post-apocalyptic world where life has changed. But really, we're in the heads of these main characters on their journeys. And it is just such a beautiful book. It has like these kind of ripples of plot that connect beginning and end and kind of circle around each other. And it was just such a delight to read. Um, there's a description on Goodreads by a reviewer before I had started it, they're like, this book is weird as hell, but in a really good way. And I was like, after I read it, I was like, yeah, that's the best description. And I even had moments when I was reading where I was like, what the hell am I reading? I, I have to keep reading. Like I had this like two motions, like this is so weird. I have to keep reading. So um, I'm, and I'm so glad I did. Seriously, this book was just one of the most incredible books I've read in a very, very long time. So I was really glad to have David on the podcast. Um, 
So we kind of talk about the difference between apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic fiction. We do kind of a character analysis. Um, we kind of delve into, you know, definition of is this a dark book and what that means. And David kind of gives some really personal backstory on the creation of this tale and what it means to him. Um, we talk about creativity and like how we create. Uh, we talk about how, you know, there was balancing between the darkness in the book and the happiness of the book. And um, yeah, so much more. And just about like, honestly, he talked about how he created the insane timelines of this book. Um, I will say uh, there is a clue that he kind of gives. Nothing is super spoiled. However, what I found to be the cleverness of this book, if I had known what this book felt like before I read it, it wouldn't have necessarily been quite as shocking of a revealing of the way the story was written because it's not anything like the stories that he references, but there are, you know, nods and echoes to those ideas. And so um, if you want absolutely no clues of any sort then maybe read the book first and come back to this episode but uh, like I said we don't talk major major spoiler stuff um, we kind of just talk broad themes and, and it really is a great discussion about creativity and art and connecting your emotions to what you're creating and just the 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 challenge of birthing this project and what it was for him so it's it's a really incredible um conversation so I hope you enjoy that but I'm just saying at the, towards the end later on when he was like yeah I saw you know I saw this movie and it's based on this short story and I was like oh my god like if I had had that in the forefront of my mind when I read it it might have made more sense quicker as opposed to like a big <gasps> aha at the end so and that wasn't a it's not necessarily a bad thing it's just something I'm thinking about as someone who you know had just read this book and then he revealed something to me so like I said, if you want absolutely no possible revelations of any sort of emotional early anything, <laughs> I don't even know how to say it, um, maybe read the book first. But yeah, I think if you are um, a sci-fi fan, if you're a writer, if you are a fan of David's, like this is a great, great chat. He really, you know, we went to real, some really great places in this conversation. So yeah, I, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Um I just want to remind you real quick before we jump into the episode that I have a couple fun products for sale. I have an adult coloring book in the Ink Feather Collective shop. I commissioned 20 artists from around the world to illustrate my fantasy photography. Um, almost all of those artists I found through book subscription boxes. So if you are a fan of book subscription boxes and the art that they commissioned to put on mugs and on you know, blankets and pillows and all those other things. Most, if not all of those artists are in my coloring book, which is a really fun project to put together. So um, you should check that out. We also have it in uh, postcards as well. Um, and it's been really kind of zen and good for my mindset in this pandemic, in the winter of this year-long pandemic we've been in, um, to kind of de, de decompress and de-stress and just kind of meditate in a sense as I was coloring. So if you want to check that out, like I said, it's in the inkfeathercollective.com, our website. It's in the shop there. Um, I also have 
really awesome author swag from my photo calendars that I did where I photographed New York Times bestselling fantasy authors. Um, so they, it was part of Kickstarter and the remaining swag I now have in an Etsy store. So it is all signed by the authors. There are prints, there are some book plates, there are things like bookmarks and postcards. Um, the, the signed things are very cool. Um, they're getting low in stock. So if you are interested, you might want to check it out. We have authors like Christopher Paulini, Patrick Rothfuss, Melissa De La Cruz, Cami Garcia, Margaret Stoll, Lee Bardugo, uh, Cassandra Clare, Holly Black, um, Lev Grossman, Garth Nix, Scott Westerfeld. I mean, the list is there's like uh, Tahada Mafi and Ransom Riggs. There's like, I think there's like 14 authors in each calendar. So there's almost 30 individual unique authors in between the two calendars. So uh, it's totally worth checking out if you're a fan. It makes a unique gift. Um, so yeah, you should check that out. That is in our Etsy store, which is the Ink Feather Shop. Um, so yeah, check those out. And um, I'm really excited. I'm going to be bringing some really fun um, new products in the near future. I'm working on a, a line of journals, which I'm going to do probably some bullet journals, line journals, and blank journals with taking my photography and turning it into kind of this, you know, fantastical covers with really fun quotes and, you know, pretty textures and things like that. And you know, just giving people a little extra stationery <laughs> that we all probably don't need. But I don't know, stationery brings me a lot of joy. And having a line of journals is something I've wanted to do for quite a few years now. So I'm really excited to be working on that project now. So stay tuned for that. I'm sure I'll mention it. Um, but for now, you can check out, like I said, the coloring book is in the Ink Feather Collective website shop. And the author swag is in the Etsy store, which is Ink Feather Shop. Okay, I think that's everything for the updates today. Uh, so now let's jump into the interview with David. I hope you enjoy. Hi, David. Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. Thanks for having me, Lauren. I am excited to have you. We are here to talk about The Electric Kingdom, which came out recently, February 9th. So it's been out about a week when we're recording this. And it is one of the weirdest, coolest, most heart uplifting and heart wrenching books I've read in a really long time. Like it was unput downable. Good. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. <laughs> I am I am really excited to dig into this. Before we kind of get into the book itself, I, w I think it would be fun to tell people how we know each other. Uh, we've met once or twice, and it was a it's a weird roundabout way. I um <laughs> for those of you listening, I may have mentioned this in a couple. Uh, actually, I had Danielle Page and Cass Morgan on recently, and that was a conversation we had. So Emmy Laybourne, who is an author, used to have this event in New York City every quarter called Spine Out. And she did this for a few years where she would invite authors to write personal essays about their lives. And then like one event every quarter, she would have this like theater evening where she'd run out of theater and the authors would come and read their essays. And you were one of those authors. I was the one who photographed those events for Emmy. And so I got to meet all these cool people. And that's where we met. Yeah, it was a that was a really special event for me for a lot of reasons. Yeah, one of which I mean, it was my first novel had just come out Mosquito Land. And I it was like in the first kind of round of traveling for a book. <laughs> so I was kind of already 
everything just felt like a whirlwind and kind yeah. of surreal. And then I remember Emmy emailing and saying, you know, we were, here's the lineup. And it was like all these amazing authors. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I was just like, really? Yeah. It just was, it was an honor to be there. And then if I wrote this thing about my grandfather who had recently passed away and then I got up and in front of everyone and bawled. <laughs> I was like, they're never going to have me back. Um, but it was a special night. When you were, like you said, between like Scott Westerfeld and David Levithan. So you were like nervous because it's like these guys yeah, and you're like, hi, I'm just this new author towering, guy. Like, <laughs> right. Towering literary heroes, you know, and I, yeah, here I was, but no, the, and everyone of course is, was just so nice. And David and I have actually since gone on to become quite close and it, yeah that was a special it was just a special night so yeah it was really it was fun meeting you there and kind of full circle now yeah, you know, I know. With my fourth book um, I'm really glad I could have you on because this is a sci-fi fantasy podcast so even though you know like I was like oh Mosquito Land was great it's just this book was so perfectly suited for our audience I was like okay I need to get you on so oh thanks before we dig into this I want to say for the listeners uh, David and I have already talked about this this is probably one of the hardest books I've ever had to try to figure out how to take notes on in the sense of like how are we going to talk about this book because it is it is such a good story and it's it has a it has a like a linear storyline but it's so much more about like heart and just like internal thoughts and I was just like I don't even know how to ask questions so it will be an interesting conversation we're kind of probably meander a bit more than I usually do I usually have some kind of guided questions to get us back on track but I don't know we'll see where this conversation goes because this book was just Unlike anything, like seriously, I've read in a really long time. And and then like I said to David before we started too, there was a reviewer who I saw their first line of their review on Goodreads before I started. And it said, this book is weird as hell in a really good way. And I was like, that really is the best description of it. Like, I don't even know how to. <laughs> so I just wanted to have that as like a, as a caveat because I'm like, this book was, I don't even know. So, but okay. Having said all that, and I think the blurb describes it really well too, but like, how would you do the elevator pitch for this story when someone's like, tell us about your newest book? Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit of a longer elevator pitch. That's okay. Um, I think that's one of the, one of the benefits of everything being virtual is there's a lot of talking and a lot of sitting in one place and there's a lot less, look, I miss being in the same room as booksellers and librarians and other authors and my friends just as much as, as anyone. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so the format has sort of dictated that there's, that we talk about our books in a different way, or at least in my Mm. experience, that's been true. Interesting. So I don't have like a very quick way of talking. I I think like you said, the jacket copy is probably as quick as it could get, but so I'll do my best. (laughs) You basically have sort of three or four, if you count the prologue, separate stories happening for the first half of the novel. And those things over the course of the book kind of come together toward, you know, toward the second half and then again, and then even more so toward the very end. But the primary point of view is 18 year old girl named Nico and her dog, Harry. And we sort of open on them walking through the woods of New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And sort of over the course of the first few chapters, we, we discover that her mother has recently passed away Her father is sick and is likely headed in the same direction and has sort of sent her on this very bizarre, potentially foolhardy journey to Manchester to find what may or may not turn out to be a mythical portal. It's set, the book is set about roughly 20 years after an apocalypse, which I would love to talk about. (laughs) The difference between apocalyptic 
and post-apocalyptic literature. But I don't want to digress too too far at the very beginning here. So <laughs> yes, yeah, so Nico uh, and her dog Harry have recently left their boarded up farm. They they grew up in this farmhouse in the woods with the bell tower. That farmhouse is boarded up. Her mom has passed away. Her dad is sick and has told her that he need told her that she needs to head to Manchester to find this portal. Meanwhile, you have a twelve year old named Kit who's sort of a a young pure-hearted artist who just wants to hug his mom and paint and read. And he's raised in this old abandoned cinema in a small town in the mountains of New Hampshire. And his mother is ailing in a very similar way to, to Nico's father. And without giving away too many spoilers, things happen, things conspire to then compel Kit with his adopted siblings to leave their town and to head toward what they think might be a safe haven on an island off mm-hmm. the coast. So they are now headed off on their own sort of journey through the same region, which is post-apocalyptic New Hampshire. And then your third point of view is probably, I don't know if fun is the right word, but certainly the most interesting point of view that, um, that yes, I wrote. Yes, it was very um, like, I'm sorry, what is happening? Like, but like... I- I, I think I'm with you, but like you kept, yeah, anyways, yes. <laughs> right. So the character's called The Deliverer, and we don't know much about them or where they came from or who they are or why they're there, but they live in this mountain on top of, or they live in this house on top of a mountain, and this house has electricity when when no I mean, no one else has electricity and the deliver sections are even written. So the book is written in third person, but the deliver sections are written in first mm-hmm. part of which was... I, you know, I wanted the deliver sections to feel jarring. So like when you're reading those chapters, it, it's not just that what's happening feels jarring. It even feels jarring, just like reading it mm-hmm. um, kind of takes you out of your comfort zone, which was definitely intentional. And, and yeah, the deliver sections really add sort of a sci-fi element. I mean, I think the, the book is, if you, if you pull the deliver's chapters out it's it's really just a post-apocalyptic novel and then the deliverer kind of adds this extra sci-fi element and uh, sort of some mystery to it that ultimately as i said toward the end all of these narratives sort of interweave together in what i hope are you know effective ways so oh my gosh i i think that was part of the joy of reading it was fitting the puzzle pieces together or going, oh, that's what that was. And mm. yeah, you know, you, you you hinted around it, but it's right there in the in the like you said, the jacket copy. There is a horrific pandemic that happened, like you said, about 20 years prior to this story where like the fly a fl- like bumblebees were trying to be saved and they yeah. mutated and <laughs> basically destroyed the world. Right. Yeah. I mean, it. you know, this was a really interesting the evolution of of writing this book is unlike any other. Uh, I mean, every every book evolves as you write it, and mm. I think I think pretty much all authors would agree. Like in some in some way, I mean, unless you're writing a book in six weeks, which I know people can do, I can't do it. That's um, I know people have done yeah. that, and but I mean, I would imagine even in that in those scenarios, there's an evolution that happens. But the evolution with this book was, I mean, the idea first came to me in 2013. I was a stay-at-home dad of my then newborn son. He's now almost nine, which is crazy to think about. But yeah, he was he was less than one. And I had this sort of image of a, of a boarded up farmhouse in the woods and with a bell tower. And I, and I wasn't sure where that image came from. I wasn't sure who lived there, why it had a bell tower, why it was boarded up. Um, so I kind of tucked it away in a, in a folder and would just kind of come back to it periodically and kind of dump ideas into it. And then right around 2017 is when I, I kind of turned to it and decided to 
to really make it my main project and get serious about it. I'd written three novels at that point. My third novel, Noah Hypnotic, was, I think, largely finished on my part, but it hadn't come out yet. And so this was my next, this was the thing I was intent on doing. And yeah, it was an interesting process kind of coming up with how the world was going to end. You know, so I mentioned earlier the difference in my mind, at least between apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic fiction. Apocalyptic fiction focuses on how the world end, ended and and. Like it's a lot about, you know, whether it's a pandemic or aliens or robot uprising or whatever it is like it is it is sort of inherently plot focused because you're asking how did, how did the world end? Mm. Whereas post-apocalyptic, it's sort of inherently character driven because you're you're asking who survived. Yeah. And you're less concerned with how the world ended and more concerned with how the survivors are going to navigate a new world. And in that sense, it's I feel like it's inherently hopeful as well because you're you're not you're not talking about the ways that humanity is going down you're talking about the ways that humanity is living on mm. so that, those were you know it was just it evolved a lot over time and 2017 I got really serious about it and spent pretty much the next two years writing it I didn't I wrote it without a contract I wasn't sure I could do it because it was so different from anything else I've done yeah so yeah. I feel like I'm just rambling. Now. No, this is exactly <laughs> this is what this is. This is what we. This yeah. is what our podcast is. It's just us basically chatting about books and going, yeah. oh, <laughs> rabbit trails. It's literally just should be the rabbit trail podcast. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> but no, like I, I could imagine, you know, the scope because you know there is it is. I don't want to say quest in the sense that you think of traditional fantasy quests, but you know the the characters, the main characters. Uh, are on a journey of sorts, you know, of their own types. And then, but, you know, so we have them doing and there's action involved. There are things that happen. But, you know, to me, the 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 essence of these stories, like I said, is, is, the, is the characters. It is very much that. And like yeah. their hearts, their desires, their dreams, what they're allowing themselves to feel and dream, you know, reflecting on things from the past. Because, you know, like you said, we don't get a lot of insight into the deliverers, kind of this like enigma character that kind of just has these weird chapters that provide us information and they that that character does things but really to me it's like you know it is kit and nico's story to me in a lot of ways you know like you're hearing their their journey and their insight into their head and just uh, it's funny because they there's one part in the book where they talk about how there's like a very strong schism between people who knew before and people who don't. And like these two main characters that were in their heads a lot, you know, they were born after, you know, or they don't remember like a time before. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. And that was definitely I mean, that's also the appeal of post-apocalyptic fiction, especially when you're writing teenagers is these these kids, you know, all, yeah, all they know is what they've read in books or what their parents have told them in terms of what happened, you know, prior to it. So that was actually a really fun challenge kind of as writing. There would be a lot of, I'd write these whole sections about something and then realize that there would be no way that my character would know about that thing. Oh. Um, and so then I would either have to cut it or find a way that they could know about it through a book or having had a conversation with a parent who was there before. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the byproduct of that sort of an unintentional byproduct was what I would count as a good thing, which is, but, but what many readers may find frustrating, I don't know. You know, I, I don't give a ton of information. I mean, there, there is enough, I hope there's enough information that is satisfying for the readers in terms of 
how the how the world ended and and what happened with the flies and how the flu did what it did but i don't spend a lot of time on it mainly because it's not as i said it's not an apocalyptic book it's post apocalyptic but also because my characters weren't there they didn't, they didn't they didn't experience it so i mean nico was a baby when the when the apocalypse happened and kit the second main character was he's 12 in the book so it had it was a few years after the apocalypse before he was even born so it was a really interesting and challenging thing to do to write these teens who didn't know didn't know the world prior to the apocalypse yeah and yet kit is this knowledge sponge having grown up in a town where you know, there were four people, basically, and everyone could have their own buildings. And his was the school with a library that every book he's read and every book is in his mind. And he was like spouting facts. The whole, like everyone was like, how do you know this stuff? Like, you know, like so for someone who doesn't live, he knew more than than the older kids. You know what I mean? Like, right. It was the things that he he. There were a lot of things that the older kids knew that he didn't because he hadn't experienced it. But mm-hmm. then a ton of things that he knew that they didn't because they were in a book that he'd read. And yeah. his character was super fun to write. And even being raised in an old abandoned cinema, I was able to... Uh, you want to talk about sort of wish fulfillment. I mean, mm-hmm. we have. I live here in Lexington, Kentucky, and thankfully long before COVID and quarantine and all that, I was able to do a, they gave me a, like a behind the scenes tour of one of my favorite places on earth. It's the Kentucky theater here in downtown Lexington. Oh, cool! Um, it's just this really old twin cinema, tons of history. Like you walk in and you just feel the history of this old theater. And it's just so one, such a wonderful place. It has since shut down. So I'm really, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that once things get back to normal, whenever that is, they can figure out a way to reopen. But yeah, they were wonderful. The owners were able to give me a tour and I got to see kind of the inner workings of, of those old theaters and the, the, the old reels, dusty reels in the corner of the projector room and oh, cool. just very cool and really kind of grounded a sense of place and made Kit's scenes easy to write because I felt like I'd been there. So yeah, being able to kind of instill my love of cinema in that sense that he he lived in this old theater and then my he he himself is a is an artist he paints the yeah. same picture over and over again he dreams this image in his head this very strange image that he doesn't know where it came from he paints it every day and then while he's waiting on his paintings to dry he goes across the hallway of this of his building as you said which is this old elementary school and there's a an intact library and so he sits and reads while he waits for his paintings to dry so it was kind of a like a catch-all for his character where i could just throw all of the arts <laughs> into Kit's chapters and then sort of distill it through a 12-year-old sensibility, which is really fun. I love his character so much. Like, I just, I don't know, I want to hug him. Like, he's yeah. just like, not an A like, oh, I just want to like hug him because he was just such a delight to read. Like, and I just was thinking about, especially as an adult, I'm 40. So I'm thinking about like, as an adult person trying to capture the essence of a 12 year old and like, wow, is this really, is, I'm trying to like recall what it was like to be 12. Did I think this way? <laughs> or like, how did I feel? Because, you know, for example, like puberty really hasn't set in yet for him. So like when he sees love around him or like the beginnings of love, he he knows what it is. He observes it, but it's, it's almost, I don't even want to say clinical. It's like, there's no emotion to it for him. It's just like a thing that is there in the world that is part of life and whatever. And it is a thing. It's not like he's feeling the feels himself. Right. I mean, so he- it was that innocence of 12, you know what I mean? 
For sure. And it, and he, you know, all of those experiences of him seeing the, the older kids around him flirting or potentially even falling in love in one case, two cases, actually, you know, is it is all distilled through like the, the book in the nonfiction section of his library, which is so your body is changing. Now what? Yeah, like-, <laughs> like that's how he understands adolescence, which, again, was just. It, it, for a really dark book, in many places, I felt it was incumbent upon myself to instill some humor and and lightheartedness, mm. and Kit was able to bring that on in a, in a number of ways. But certainly, that was one of them. Yeah, I find that really interesting. Do you, as the creator of this story, consider it a dark book? I think it's funny because <laughs> I think I do not not zoomed out like. Hmm. That's a tough question. Because <laughs> I don't know if I would, at impulse, what I would define as a dark book. I don't know if I would call this a dark book. But then when I think about it, I'm like, well, there's some really heavy stuff that happens, like really emotionally traumatic things. Yeah. And and the places that these kids find themselves in and, and should have no, they shouldn't have to find themselves mm. in those places. And, and certainly there are people they encounter along the way that aren't they're very ugly yes, <laughs> to agreed. them. And, and, you know, that's, that's part of the, of the world that they live in. Yeah. I think part of it too, I can't, it's impossible for me to separate it from the experience I had while writing it, which mm. I've talked about this before. And I don't, I try to figure out how to talk about it in a, in a honest way, but in a way that also doesn't make it too dramatic or I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for how to, you know, so so I said I early 2017 is when I really turned to this book, and then I'm a very type A kind of obsessive personality, and mm-hmm. when I have an idea, I really go for it. <laughs> and so when that idea is a world such as this, where there, are, you know, kids that are that are whose parents are dying left and right, who live in this world that really provides them with with very little hope. I mean, there is hope, but it's hope that they have to find on their own. Yeah and and sort of ugly people are at every turn and maybe ugly is the wrong word i, I guess i just you know evil <laughs> that's a good catch-all though word. because it is yeah. there is it is an ugliness it's not just uh yeah like evil feels too vague yeah. in a right sense. right right well i mean by the end of 2019 i had i had really just like kind of let myself go into it to the point where I I was physically ill. <laughs> you know, I've heard my whole life about the ways that our mental health and our physical health are, are interconnected. And, mm-hmm. and certainly I believed it. I knew that it was true, but I hadn't experienced it firsthand. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of 2019, I, I landed in the ER with some pretty serious heart issues. Oh my gosh. And luckily, you know, had some great doctors and and now have a great therapist and the right kind of medication and am able to I was able to kind of get out of out of that place but it was a lesson for me and I I don't really know like I guess just in terms of of boundaries and I had really like self-isolated and kind of allowed the most important thing to become the only thing which I think can be a dangerous thing. (laughs) Mm. And, you know, luckily my family's amazing and my wife and my kid are 
were here and have been an incredible support system for me. And as I, th- I said, I was able to find the right doctors and, and therapists and was able to kind of dig myself out of that hole. But it, but it was a rough go for, for a bit there. And I've also been grateful that it didn't happen in the middle of 2020. <laughs> I, I was just know. about to say, too, like, as it sounds like you're like, I isolated. I was like, man, if you had only known, I wonder what your journey would have been if you knew, like, you were going to have forced isolation next year. So maybe you should get out of the house more or, you know, yeah. like these things we do, you know. Right. And, and, you know, I think the, 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 there were some natural things that happened when quarantine hit in 2020 that in a roundabout way actually kind of saved me. I mean, my wife's job has been great. And so she's been able to work from home since March of 2020. My kid has done really well in virtual school. So I'm not, uh, you know, whereas 2017, 2018, 2019, you know, I write for a living and was home all day by myself, just sort of diving into this book and flailing many days. But but also just like, as I said, type A kind of obsessive and, and just like really going there alone. And, you know, I, I had evenings with my family, but spent most of the day by myself <laughs> and thought I was fine until I, until it occurred to me very quickly that I wasn't. Mm. And so I would say one of, certainly I, I, this is not a silver linings 2020 conversation, but because my wife and kid have been at home with me Got every you. day, I haven't, I haven't, I mean, it's funny. I would say I've been less isolated in 2020 than I have any other year <laughs> because mm. of other years, it was me at home by myself all day. And so this has been certainly not ideal and, and 2020 has been awful. I mean, I, it's terrible, but we've been very lucky. And in some ways I've found that it has, yeah, it has personally been not a horrible experience just to be home with them through the day. So. That's really interesting that like the the creation of this story affected you that much. I mean, it's definitely being a professional creative, someone who makes art, whatever that art is. You know, I talk about this in most episodes because that's one of my favorite topics is this understanding creativity and how we as people make it and connect with it. And so hearing that story is very interesting because it, it does show how much of ourself we put into the things we we birth from our souls you know what i mean like how mm-hmm. it, it literally made you sick <laughs> this book yeah and i wonder how like i wonder how healthy that is like i'm just i've you know i was a musician for 10 years before i ever before mm-hmm. i ever really got serious about writing novels and even then i mean my primary like my mo is crying while creating I cry a lot. It's and this is just part of who I am. My wife knows it. <laughs> My close friends know it. This is it's kind of always bubbling there below the surface. I I cried a ton, you know, at the speech I gave at my wedding with my wife. Like I just cry. I'm a crier and that's part of how I that's part of my process in creating. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just I know a lot of brilliant writers who it's a very cognitive experience Mm -hmm. and that's not the case for me. My, when I write, it is a, it is a very emotional experience and I'm trying, it's still an ongoing lesson. I'm, I'm trying to learn how to allow myself, you know, it's not a, I'm, I'm glad that I am that way. I don't want to change that entirely. I would like to rein it in a little bit. <laughs> healthier, a healthier yeah, boundaries. <laughs> find some balance, I think, is balance yeah. is the word that I'm really looking for. And that's a, and that's something that, you know, that's a, a constant conversation in therapy, a constant mm-hmm. conversation with my wife, check-ins, you know, like it's one thing if you're crying and, and letting yourself create these things in an emotional way and it's cathartic and 
and most of the time it's wonderful, but, but if it sort of overtakes the entire process mm-hmm. to the point where you then yourself are sad or then letting it go even further and, and find yourself sick, <laughs> yeah. that's not healthy. So it is a constant thing that I'm a struggle of mine that I'm, that I try to yeah find balance in the middle of. I find it really interesting because so basically the what we just discussed was essentially that the one of the reasons you do consider this a dark book is because the journey that you went on while creating the book and that Ooh. that was a dark time for you. But it's but there's still this lightness, this beauty, this this moments of joy in this story that balance it out wonderfully. And even though, like you said, there's this really heavy stuff that happens to people that, you know, kids and teens should not be dealing with there's still like you said these glimpses of like first love and of art and of like the beauty of a songbird or like wow look at that city you know or the or the the you know little memories with you know Nico and her father on the roof of the farmhouse talking about how sound travels through water like just interesting things that were like facts that made the story not feel heavy even though it might be dark so i think that's such an interesting thing to hear as you from you as the creator about just the the journey of this of this book yeah i wonder too if part of that is i had a really i talk one of my best friends jeff sentner is another uh, ya author you should all read his books they're brilliant he's great mm-hmm. he, he was a big help and he was an early reader on this book and we've talked a lot he loves post-apocalyptic literature as do i and so we've talked a lot about this and I, one thing that that I wonder about sometimes when I'm reading these post-apocalyptic books is I think you I think there's less middle ground. It's like when you're dealing in a, a post-apocalyptic world, everything is like more terrible or or more beautiful. Literally um, life or death. Like yeah, yeah, the stakes are naturally raised. Yes. And so when things are as awful as they are, when there is something beautiful, it becomes this just, you know clouds parting, angels singing kind of beauty because it's there in the middle of this kind of awfulness. Mm -hmm. So that's a really interesting thing that I have found to be true just as a general rule in post-apocalyptic fiction and maybe part of the reason why I love it so much. It's interesting too. Like I kind of got burned out on it for a while because there there was a time where it was like all the rage in a lot of young adults. And I read those books and I enjoyed those books. But there was a grittiness or a heaviness to them that I needed a break from. And I mm-hmm. didn't necessarily feel that in this book as much. And I don't know if it's because, like I said, we're the way we're in the characters' heads. And for a lot of the book, they're they're on their own. Or even if they're with others, they're still we're still in their head while they're pondering things. And so I got I guess it was more connection with the human as opposed to the external, which was made it interesting to read. Yeah. And and I think I appreciate that, first of all. And I do think that might be also a natural byproduct of Kit's character. I mean, he is mm. just so pure and so good <laughs> that it's, you know, there are, I think when I think about the sections that do, that do tend to get dark and, and awful, it's rarely his sections yeah, um, right. because he's just such a like, good he has this good spirit about him that yeah yeah even the most i would say the most traumatic scene that i can think of with him mm-hmm. isn't written in a traumatic way <laughs> you know because right. we're in his head and he's experiencing this traumatic thing and it's like you know externally you're going oh my god this is what's happening right now at least he's experiencing this thing and then he's just like thinking totally it's it was like what an interesting way to write him yeah he was he was just 
yeah, like maybe a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I just, oh, but even you. I'm just thinking with Nico too. Like I know she had more reason to be shy and hesitant and wary, and she definitely encountered some dark things. But I don't know, maybe just because I, I, it's this, you know, not wanting to hope because she's on this journey that her father sent her on, and you know, this. Oh, what if this is a fool's errand? But what if it's not? And like that, right. you know, the possibilities of what could be, you know, yeah. what she encounters. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. When you were plotting this book out, one of the things about this story that uh, is unlike something I've read in a long time is there's a lot of, and you referenced like tree rings, but it almost reminds me of ripples. Like there's there's a lot of like things, like pings here, pings there, little things that tie in. The plotting of this book must have been crazy. Completely. <laughs> yes. I, I have a few things to say about this, but the very first thing I would say is if you're going to write a book that has essentially four separate nonlinear narratives that interweave in sort of subtle ways. And then over the course of the book interweave even more until the very yeah. end when they're all kind of one. Oh if, my you, God. if you're going to do that, you better have a really brilliant editor. <laughs> and luckily for me, I do. And her name is Dana Leydig at Viking. And it was many, many hours on the phone with her trying to figure out how to make it work. Mm. I always do character timelines. I'll just turn a piece of paper sideways and kind of hand write out on just do a line and then kind of with dates and, and whatever else. And with this one, I started that way, which then became two pages, which became three pages. And then I scrapped that because there were mm. too many characters and too many timelines happening all at the same time. And ultimately, it led me to getting a roll of, of wrapping paper, just plain brown wrapping paper and like unrolling it on the dining room table and then getting out a Sharpie <laughs> and spending like a week and a half. I'm oh not God. exaggerating. Like bigger paper. I need bigger paper. Giant I need more paper. paper. <laughs> tiny handwriting, oh you know, gosh. four timelines, kind of trying to make it all kind of connect. Oh my and gosh. so then, and, and yes, and Dana, my editor was, was an integral, integral part of that process. And then it became, you know, it's like once you do connect all of those threads, it, it doesn't read in a natural way. It reads kind of forced. And so then what you have to do is you kind of like connect those threads, but then when you're going back in the revision process, figure out which of those threads don't need connecting. Like you kind of have, it's a fine line of, of making sure you've got everything put together in a way that it makes sense and works. And then going through and saying, okay, we don't actually need these for the story. And, and maybe that thread doesn't need connecting in order for it to be a satisfying mm. experience. And, and I would much rather the read be a satisfying one that, that still leaves questions than an unsatisfying one that connects all the threads. You know, what really comes to mind for me, and actually a big turning point in the process of this book really was in 2015, I walked into a movie theater to see what I thought was an alien movie which was the movie Arrival. And when I walked out of the movie oh, theater, God. I was a completely different person. I, yeah. Uh, I mean, it loosely is an alien movie, but it is not like, it's that really is not, what it's not about. right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, aliens are so good. in it, but it's not an alien movie. And it, that to me, when I left that movie theater, really I'd spent most of my like adult life thinking and saying that I wasn't a big fan of sci-fi. Like I enjoyed, you know, Battlestar Galactica, the the reboot. That was a good, yeah. I liked that show. <laughs> and I watched Star Wars with my kid. Yeah, you definitely had some nerd nods in here too, which was great. You had E.T. in here as well, like in yeah. the book, which was yeah. fun. 
but yeah, Arrival really like was the turning point for me. And then of course, like when I left the theater being just feeling hungry for more of those kinds of stories. And that of course led to the source material of Ted Chang, which then opened up an entire new world, entirely new world for me. So I do feel like, you know, the thing I love the most about Ted Chang's stories is that you, as you're reading them, well, first of all, if you, if I mean, I can't recommend his books highly enough. I have not read his books. No, I'm like, I did not even know that this was a thing until actually you have one of the characters loving those stories. I was like, oh, I have to make a note of this. I wrote my love of Ted Chang into. You did. You're like, these are non-negotiable. I have to take these books with me. I was like, the world has ended and these are the books you're keeping. That says a lot. Well, first of all, he writes collections of short stories and Stories of Your Life and Others is the first one. And the story, Story of Your Life, which is in that collection, is the story that Arrival was based on. And then his Mm -hmm. second one, his more recent collection is called Exhalation, which is equally brilliant. And the thing that he does that I love is when you're reading his stories again, the threads aren't all connecting. You're not necessarily understanding everything that's happening, but you have so much trust as you're reading it that Ted Chang knows what's going on that you're kind of able to let go and just, just and just experience go the story. Along with, yeah. And so that was kind of, I, I by no means am comparing myself or would ever compare myself to Ted Chang, but that was sort of a North Star for me was saying, I'm, I'm okay if uh, someone comes away from this book saying, I'm not entirely sure what just happened. My goal really is to have them believe that I know what's happening. And, and in that way, they're then able to just kind of let go and enjoy the experience. I actually think Arrival is a really good nod. Like it, when you said that, I was like, oh my God, I could see yeah. it. I could see the like the, 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 the love, the reflections of that idea or those kind of, like you said, the way the the story is circular in that sense. You know what I mean? Like the, the it's obviously not the same stories by any means, but I just got a little bit of like goosebumpiness. I actually I yeah. got goosebumps a few times reading this story. There's a few times where I'm like, holy crap, that's, I mean, like, you know, it's all connected, but you don't know what's connected or how, or is it really? And then right. the more we read, I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's interesting because for those of you listening, I told him I'm at like 90%. I'm doing the audiobook. It's a 10 hour and change audiobook. And I'm at like, I've like a 53 minutes left. So I am very close to the end. And I know, and I actually knew this before I even started that I'm like, I think there's still a few threads that need tied here because there's still a couple questions I have that like things that you reflected on a few different times. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but what does this mean? Are we going to get answers? And you even said like, there's a couple things that still happen. I won't tell you about them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like just how much you interwove and how you plotted things out. I mean, I love that you took the, the that experience because you're right. Arrival makes you feel something. And as they reveal those things to you, you go, oh my gosh, this story. And then like you said, as you're reading that and having a similar experience, with that reading, I could see how that would, you would want to lean into that. And, you know, like you said, kind of stay in that idea. Yeah. And, and it's so, how rare is it that you, that you experience a, a book or a, or a movie or a song or a painting that, that it's not just that you enjoyed it or you said, Oh, wow, that was really great. But it's that you, when you finish that experience, you feel like I'm different because different. of that. I'm yes. a different person. And, you know, I have to credit Eric Heiser who, who adapted the screenplay mm. for Arrival because what's what's really interesting is that I feel like there might, when I'm, when I'm off the top of my head, I'd be hard pressed to think of a movie that where the adaptation was more different than the story. I mean, I'm sure they exist and there's plenty probably, but, but in the here and now, like the movie Arrival is so different from 
Ted Chang short story, story of your life. And Eric really made it his, I say Eric like we're friends. I've never met him. Uh, Eric Heiser, Heiser is the, is the, I think it's Eric. I know his last name's Heiser. I think it's Eric Heiser. And he's, he just made that story his own in a, in a way that still respected the source material. And mm. really the spirit of the story is definitely intact, but he made it a cinematic experience on its own right. And it's so brilliant. And Ted Chang's story of your life is in and of itself, it's so brilliant, but they both are exactly what they needed to be for that medium. Like Arrival is the perfect version of that story for the big screen and Story of Your Life is the perfect version of that story for a short story. And it's just so rare that I, I mean, I can point to that short story and that movie separately and together as life altering. Mm. So yeah, obviously I recommend the movie yeah. and, and the short stories. And I'm just sitting here thinking, I feel, I don't mean this to sound patronizing, but I feel bad for those who haven't seen Arrival and now we go to watch it because they didn't get to see it in theaters. Right. Because oh, it was that the experience so in theaters, yeah. I mean, it was just like. Yeah. And I would recommend if it's, if at all possible to watch it on not your phone, you know, I mean, I, I watch t- TV on my phone a lot. I'm not, I'm not saying generally that's a bad thing or I'm. But this, this movie in particular, bigger. really put it on whatever the biggest screen in your house is and turn With it up. surround and also, sound. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so the score by Johan, the late, great Johan Johansson is, is the score I that I wrote this book to. That. I mean, the atmospheric oh kind of, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you really even define his style, but yeah, I mean, the score is perfect. The, the writing is perfect. The acting is perfect. It's a perfect movie and it's a perfect short story. Uh, and and it influenced this book and like I love how we were like talking about plotting and now we're just like gushing about our <laughs> like nerdy love of these weird right. like, but beautiful stories but I mean I can see you know I, but I, this is again why I love what I love about creativity is like that the whole you know there's that nothing is new and everything is mm-hmm. is recycled ideas but it's that's our job as creatives is to find the the new nugget and the new kernel to make it our own to make it feel good or feel or take the influence or the inspiration or just maybe that feeling you get from something and and putting it into your work you know what i mean yeah i'm a really big believer that story input equals story output and and i think the electric kingdom was Mm. is a distillation of five years worth of stories whether it's books movies paintings songs kind of that i've processed through the years and now it's this is my sort of own here's what i'm producing from that and I think that that's, I mean, if you surround yourself with a certain kind of thing, inevitably you're going to create that thing mm-hmm. or, or some version of, of your version of that thing. And, I mean, there are so yeah. many reasons I've heard so many authors say like they don't read while they're writing or they don't read mm. the type they're writing when they're writing, you know, like they have to read nonfiction right? if they're writing fiction or whatever, because they don't want to be influenced by style or ideas. Yeah. I've, I'm like the, I feel like I'm the opposite of that. I don't, I, in fact, it's funny. I've saved, I have an adult novel that I've, that I kind of come back to and kind of abandon and then come back to and then abandon. And I was actually going to, I, well, I won't get into this, but I had a whole plan about how it was, it was going to be the main thing I worked on in 2020. And then 2020 really made that impossible. But I've been saving, oh, I'm blanking on his first name, Bachman, uh, Frederick Bachman, who is, is this, you know, every, so many people love him and talk about his book. I've been saving his books because I feel like they're going to inspire me to write this. You mean um, Stefan Bachman? I think it's or Frederick, Frederick, isn't it? Now I'm going to look. Oh, um, man. Are we talking about a young adult author? No, no, no. He's an adult. 
okay, then this is a totally different person. Because there is a Stefan Bachman who's a young adult author. Oh, gotcha. And, that's, and I was like, okay, which, which Bachman yeah, no, are we talking about? Uh, Frederick Bachman, a okay. man called Ove, my grandmother. Oh, yeah, 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 um, yeah. I've, I've not, I have his books because I know I'm going to love them. I have not read them yet because I know they're going to inspire me to, to write this adult novel of mine. So I don't know. I feel like I... I'm different than that in, in mm-hmm. that it, for me, at least it feels more inspirational and I'm not Almost so concerned like, that I'm going to end up stealing ideas. I don't, maybe I should be. No, but I mean, yeah. it, it's, that's what fills your well up, you know, your creative right. well that you can then pour out of. It's, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, I just, this book is, is beautifully done. It really, it's, it's well, been so as someone who, and you know, I say this a lot, I'm, I'm really lucky in, in what I do. Cause I, I have an, an episode every week. So I'm always reading and it's all sci-fi fantasy. And, you know, obviously it's oftentimes luck of the draw. If I have an author that I like, or I know is coming out with something I have, I obviously have to read it and I don't always necessarily have to love it, right. but I do generally, I'm lucky that I get books and I often am saying like, this felt fresh or this is unusual, but like, seriously, I haven't read anything like this book in, in, I can't even remember the last time I had a book that made me feel this way. Like it has so much depth and, com- and complexity and heart and hope, even though it's dark and it's got me like, there was like zingers, like I said, like emotional zingers, like even like... There's a huge, like right at the end, not far from where I just stopped, is like a basically a pivotal revelation of like, you know, of the all the these threads, interesting threads coming together. I, I was like, I, I like had lost my breath. <laughs> oh. It was so well done. I was just like, oh my gosh, what the heck? Like it's so good. So I can just imagine like you said, the levels of plotting and having to hash it out. And I'm just so grateful for you and your editor because it really has made it such a delightful reading experience. Well, that means the world to me. I so appreciate those words. And, you know, most, most authors would, would say this, I think, uh, certainly I do, which is that as I'm writing a book, I constantly am like, no one is ever going to like this. No one is ever going to get it you know it feels it is maybe part maybe it goes hand in hand with it being such an emotional experience for me it feels Mm. so driven by me I mean it is I mean I think writing is sort of a selfish an inherently selfish experience you're you are telling your story or a story that you want to tell so in that respect I do often think well no one's ever going to get this so I really appreciate (laughs) that and it took years so it is definitely like one of those it feels like kind of a um, emotional and intellectual marathon mm. that I've just finished. And I don't know how well I did, but I feel like I, it's like I, I finished. <laughs> so um, I appreciate those words more than I you mean. I think you did great. I mean, oh, are you proud of the end result? Do you feel like at this moment, it's the best you could do in this moment? Yeah, I do. And I, and I think that's kind of you win the moments of doubt and the moments of inevitable comparisons and all these things that authors, these diseases that authors mm-hmm. go through during a publishing week. <laughs> that's ultimately what I come back to is just, this is, I did the thing that I set out to do and that's, that's all you can hope for really. So yeah, but, but this, you know, talking with you and, and all your kind words have, have just been, yeah, I really appreciate it. Oh, well, I, I'm, I'm so glad I reached out because seriously, I, I, I don't get to read as freely as I would like because of this podcast schedule. So Mm. I'm so glad that I was like, I get to read this now. And I, and I have just, it's been, it was like, 
I, I kept laughing. I was like, how am I going to say this? And I don't mean this to sound insulting because it's not insulting, but it's like, what the hell is happening? I have to know what's happening. Why the hell am I reading this? I have to keep reading this. Like, it was like, there's moments of like, what is going on? And then I'm like, I, I can't stop. I have to know. Like, not that I wanted to stop, but it was like this weird, like this, what is, huh? But then, but then yet there was always this, like in those moments of like, wait, what? There's always this nugget of like, but yes, this is what's coming or what's happening. And I just, I just couldn't, I just, like I said, as someone who reads almost ad nauseum, like it seriously has been <laughs> unlike anything I've read in a really long time. So definitely take that as a compliment because it was, it has been an emotional and interesting reading experience, which I am very grateful for. I'm hugely so. honored by that. Hugely. Thank you so yeah. much. You're welcome. I will be telling people about this book. It is not one I will forget anytime soon, for sure. Thank you. Are you, what are you working on now? Are you, you said you put that, that adult novel kind of is on the back burner. Is there something you're actively working on now? Are you still just sort of chewing on ideas? Yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle of, of chewing on ideas and and actively working on them. <laughs> Not, yeah. So, I mean, I it's, the adult novel is something that I, I plan to get back to. I've, basically what it is, is I have a character that I love that I'm not going to be able to let go of, which for me is an indicator that I'm going to write the book. Now, whether it will be ever be published or, you know, a, an adult, I've never written adults. I don't have an adult publisher. I don't have, you know, I don't, I only know a few adult authors. So it's a whole different world that I, that I'll have to see if, if, um, you know, if that'll, if that works. But definitely, that is a book that I am going to write. And then, yeah, on the YA side, I have a, it's funny, I've had this, I'm trying to figure out how to talk about it. It's not (laughs) under contract. And so I don't want to talk too much about what it's about. I will say it is new. It's a new challenge for me and that it's primarily a romance, which I've never done before. Hmm. But there is a very speculative angle, which I love in mm. storytelling and in and in the books that I read as well. So yeah, so it's sort of a speculative romance that I hope would be sort of a, I think it's going to be like a kind of a short, shorter timeline and a little more lighthearted. <laughs> I think I need to do something for me that's a little less, just a little less <laughs> um, <clears throat> would be good. So yeah, so I'm working on that sort of. And then also I have this sort of, it's a graphic novel idea that I don't want to talk oh, too cool. much about either, that I wrote a screenplay during the first five months of quarantine that I really, really loved. And at one point it, it sort of occurred to me that what I was writing was a graphic novel. So, so I mean, yeah, that can are, go hand in hand. Very, I have friends that literally are doing the same like wrote a graphic novel then made it a screenplay and now it's back to that again and like it's those can those stories can be wonderfully interchanged sometimes too yeah and that's my hope you know i so the screenplay is complete and has gone through multiple rounds of revisions and i'm really proud of it and uh you know it's i I have a sort of a, a film team and they're sort of actively pitching it as well. And, but in the meantime, it's a, it's what I think it would make a really great graphic novel. So I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can make that happen. Yeah. So those two, those, I guess if you count the adult novel, I've kind of got three things I'm kind of rotating through right now. So Mm, that's a lot. That's a lot of good stuff though. sounds like you've got some good uh, and things at different stages, which I think is also good for the brain to like, depending on what your mental state is of at the day, you know, like I have, I have minimal energy. What is the easiest or what feels the most fun or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm, I alluded earlier to my 10 years in music. I mean, I spent years and years trying to make the carve out a a space for myself in the music world. That would be, I, I, you know, money's, 
I'm not trying to make a ton of money in music, but I did, you know, I was trying to make a living and it, and yeah. it felt often like banging my head against a wall over and over again. And I just have the most amazing publishing team at Penguin and specifically Viking. And they have just been so wonderful in, in letting me tell the stories I want to tell and kind of giving me space to create whatever, I want. you know, when I come to them with a, with a really sort of bizarre post-apocalyptic sci-fi book that I've spent two years writing, they're like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so I don't, that's not something that I take lightly or that I'm, yeah. that I'm eager or willing to let go of easily. So, yeah. No, that's really cool. Before we go, I always like to ask authors if they've read anything good lately. Now, granted, we've just had some really good recs that we already talked about, but like anything that you would recommend that you've read recently, our listeners read across the board. They don't necessarily have to be sci-fi fantasy books. Okay. Just anything that has maybe captivated you or that you would recommend? Actually, the three that I'm recommending are some relation to sci-fi. So that's all good. Three books. The one I've read the most recently is Friday Black by Nana Kwame Ajebrenya, and it is brilliant. It's ba- it's a collection of short stories, and it's it's if I had to compare it to anything, I would compare it to the TV show Black Mirror. But if the through mm. if the like thread was not technology but race and consumerism. Um, it's just a really brilliant collection of short stories. And then I've recently read a graphic novel called Odessa by Jonathan Hill. And it I heard is, about Odessa. Yeah. It's a post-apocalyptic graphic novel. It's just so brilliant and wonderful. And yeah, I can't recommend it. It's kind of a road trip. I mean, it's, it definitely lets teens kind of take the stage. I don't know if they're marketing it as YA or not, but it's a really great graphic novel. And then Julia Phillips' Disappearing Earth is... I guess another kind of example of, and technically it's not a collection of short stories, it's a novel, but it often feels like a, a collection of short stories. It's mm. all of these individual narratives that center around these two little girls who go missing. And it's all of these different sort of, I don't know how to explain it. It's like these people that are barely mentioned in one chapter, the next chapter, it's their story. Oh, so you kind of see cool. all these different perspectives around this this town and these two missing girls and it's uh yeah it's really it's really brilliant that actually sounds like an interesting way to read a story as well yeah i I misspoke i said all three were sci-fi that one obviously is not is not sci-fi but it's it's atmospheric and and just i loved it Hmm. those all sound really good (laughs) i think we've got some really great recs here from from you this It's interesting, too, because and I have found myself being more receptive to short stories. I I always resisted them for a very long time. Mm. And I don't know if it's because I I as a fantasy lover traditionally love, you know, series (laughs) or what. But like, you know, I found like even for a long time, like I didn't like standalones or I would like avoid them because I'm like, no, I need them. But then I was like, oh, it's so satisfying. It's one and Mm. done. Like I get the whole story and I feel good. And then again, with short stories, you get this glimpse and it it's there's these little moments of satisfying especially because it's like oh i don't have time to read this whole book but i can get this fix with the with the wonderful story that's just like you know little tidbit story so i i think that there's something wonderful to be said about short stories that i think more people should be reading them for sure i think i agree and also it's interesting when i think about the short stories and the short story collections that i love they do tend to be sci-fi so like Mm -hmm. whether it's this book i just recommended friday black or ted chang's (laughs) um collections or even like you could go all the way back to like isaac asimov Mm -hmm. (laughs) his collections of short stories i find i enjoy way more than his novels so i'm not sure what that is i haven't really 
I haven't thought about. I need to explore that a little bit. I'm not sure if it's if there's something about that format that lends itself to short short form fiction. Mm. I don't know either, but I, I definitely get what you're saying and I agree. And I think that that's a, like I said, I have people, I know a lot of people who feel like how I used to. So it's, it's very much like good to hear people being like short stories. It's okay. Like you won't, right. you won't regret it. You won't right. necessarily want more. I mean, you might, but it's not like you're going to be like, ah, right. this is the worst right, or whatever. Right. So David, this was delightful. This was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> what a great conversation. I, We'll be telling, like I said, people about this book for a really long time. I'm so glad we got the chance to talk about it and kind of just delve into the creation of it and the way you shaped the story. And yeah, it was such an interesting conversation. Like I said, neither of us kind of knew which direction it was going to take, but I definitely think we we got some good nuggets in here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and for a conversation that I'm having. I mean, I know this isn't this isn't rare in the podcast world, but it is. It can feel awkward sitting in front of your laptop in the corner of your bedroom, <laughs> talk, having a conversation. But this didn't feel awkward at all. This was lovely. Oh, it was wonderful chatting with you. I really appreciate that a lot. That actually means a lot to me. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. We will be back next week with a new episode. Don't forget you can support us on Patreon at Ink Feather Books. But for now, this is Lauren and David signing out. Bye. Thank you.